Hello, everybody. My name is Christopher Thomas Plant. My name is Ross Frustick. Welcome to the Resties, where the rest of the best discuss the best of the rest. This week, we are putting a bow on the Resties required reading list. It has been our year-long project to collect 25 games from across basically the history of games starting in 1980, so a little bit later than Pong, but you, you get the gist. We'll be doing that and explaining more about it later, but first, I have an important thing to talk to you about. Oh, boy. Really, it's a question for you. Oh, boy. Have you been doing any shopping lately for, let's say, anime statues? No. So, for people who don't know, at the beginning of every year, Fresh and I flagrantly ripping off uh, our friends uh, at Triple Click Podcast, make predictions about what we think will be happening during the year, and then the winner receives a gift from the other person. Uh, Last year, I won, and I received, um, uh, at first, a 13 Sentinel statue that ended up being way too gauche for me to have into my house, Um, (laughs) and I I traded that out for a, a little Spelunky arcade cabinet. This year... The year's I mean, not I don't even, over. The year's it's not, not over. over. And I don't even know that we want to like dive in too deeply. Into oh, no, the no, no. I, I'm more interested in what are you going to get me? Because okay. while the year is not over, I feel very confident. Well, I, 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 I also think you're probably going to win again in, mm-hmm. in sort of an 11th hour situation. But it's worth considering that we actually addressed this earlier in the year. And I realize you might not recall, but we... <sighs> decided that we would not be doing anime statues this year and that we'd do some sort of art instead. You're right. You're right. Because that that is a wise choice by old us. Yes. So we you're thinking very like smart. maybe like Monet, um, Picasso. Yeah. yeah. By way of Honkai Star Rail. <laughs> okay. <laughs> hey, I mean, I'm not going to complain. Uh, I am looking forward to it. I invite uh, any listeners in the comments at besties.fan to share any art recommendations. And, and I, look, I, this better be good art. I, I'm, I mean, I'm not saying it needs to hang in the MoMA, but I don't be dropping any of your weird hentai uh, tentacle stuff in there. Keep Are it. You, you're shame kinking or kink shaming, I should I'm say. Not, I'm not kink shaming them. They can have whatever they want in their house. They could be, you know, blacklight approved. Yeah. I'm just saying we have a just don't a, shine the black light on specifically. Oh, uh, never mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We have we have a lot of different ages in our listenership, right? That's right. And and I I just want to keep the 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 comments PG. That's all I ask. That's all I ask. Oh yeah, keep them PG. That's right. Yes, agreed. So yeah, yes. Please let us know uh, some ideas, and let's take a quick break, and then let's come back and finish up the required reading list. Okay, very quick for people who are somehow new to this. And honestly, not a problem if you are. You'll still make sense of this uh, project. The Resties Required Reading List is our goal to collect a list of 25 games from Pac-Man to modern day. So that's 1980 to 2020. These are not the best games or even our favorite games. And this most definitely is not a huge top 100 games list. The sort of thing that you could just, you know, like Google at any given time. These are games that we feel everyone who wants to have a fundamental appreciation of video games should play. That uh, if you play these 25 games, you'll have a richer connection with every other game that you're playing. I like to say that it's like Video Games 101, or like if we built a museum around 25 games and it was interactive and you could go learn about things, this would be it. You like to not say that. Well, <laughs> yeah, you boring. could use it. It seems like the Latin of games would also be a way to present it in a thank very you, boring fashion. <laughs> Suffice it to say, if you're looking for something to be like a snobby asshole at a party, when someone's like, oh, man, did you see the best open world game ever? GTA 5 was great. And you were like, well, yeah, but did you know that X, Y, and Z game made up all of those things before GTA 5 did it? That's that's what this list is for. It's for making you sound like a snobby asshole. And you know what? You're going to feel great doing it. You're going to be great at parties. So throughout the year, we've been breaking this down in five-year chunks. And we've done everything from like 85 to 89, all the way up to 15, 2015 to 2020. 
the one that we have left is 80 to 84, which will Which do... is kind of like, you know that scene in Pee-wee's Big Adventure when he doesn't want to get the snakes from the pet store that's on fire? <laughs> that's kind of like this, because none of us are like super jazzed. But honestly, in looking at the list, it's not it's not too bad. No, I, I think it it's great games. They're just hard to talk about games. And yeah. I think we've come prepared for that for that problem. Um, yes. We also have a special guest that we're going to uh, introduce in the middle of the show to help us pick some JRPGs from the uh, early 1990s. And then at the end of the episode, we are going to uh, go back to our full list of selections and actually cement our 25 games. Uh, that sound good? Yeah, let's do cool. it. Cool. Um, so let's start off. We uh, we're, we're digging in through 1980 to 1984, and these are I mean these are they're not quite am- amoebas. These are you know some some tadpoles are sprouting legs and stepping onto land. Of video yeah, because games. again, we're, we're, you mentioned it earlier, but like this is after like the pongs of the world after space war. These are not the first video games ever. But they are, I think, video games growing up. Yeah. And, and we, we said, you know, we're kind of starting with Pac-Man. And I think that is a good spot to start. Pac-Man is a phenomenon. Uh, it is a true pop culture phenomenon. There's Pac-Man fever. Not, not that people are actually contracting it. Uh, but, you know, you, you can get a little Pac-Man fever. There was a, a popular music single. There was a cartoon series. Uh, it, Pac-Man was inescapable in 1980. Um, the only problem that I actually have with Pac-Man is it's not as fun as Miss Pac-Man, which that's comes out true, a few but, years later. Uh, but honestly, that's uh, the case for a lot of the games on, on our list is like, there were better sequels that came out after the first one. I think the like big selling point for Pac-Man, you know, you mentioned the cultural impact, which is certainly relevant, but I would also say like, I don't know that there's a more representative arcade game when you think like arcade game than Pac-Man. I think it is the like face of arcade games in a lot of ways and, you know, still very playable, still enjoyable. uh, But it is really, I think, the er arcade game. Do you know how Pac-Man came to be like the kind of origin story behind it with Namco? No, I actually don't. So Namco actually acquired Atari's Japanese offices. And if not for that, like they, Namco was like, we want to make our own games. We'll buy up this group because Atari from the very beginning has just been in perpetual financial trouble, it seems like. Yeah. And then they, um, they empower this 20 something, um, Toru Iwatani, uh, to lead a small team. And that, that's the origin of, of Pac-Man. It, it really is just a young guy at a new company that could have been shuttered. Uh, ends up making a thing that defines an entire medium. Um, pretty wild. Uh, uh, other stuff that year of 1980, we have Missile Command, which I don't think is going to make this list, but I think is important for capturing Cold War angst. And it's a game where you shoot missiles out of the sky before they pelt uh, cities. Yeah, that is grim. I never, I never thought about it in that context. That's a fun game, but it, it is extremely dark at the same yeah. time. Yeah, it is. Um, Adventure, which do you have? I mean, Adventure is like. Adventure is the first video game that I remember seeing in person on. A, really? I, yeah, my father had an Intellivision, whatever. And I was probably th- three years old. And he I didn't I don't remember playing it, but I do remember seeing that, like, you know, walking around and like seeing that dragon that looked like a big S and mm. uh yeah, I mean, it's impactful, you know, whatever. Fucking uh, uh, Ready Player One made a big deal about adventure being the first game that had an Easter egg in yeah. it. And that is, I guess, true that, you know, they had to hide the creator's name in the game itself. But uh, I mean, yeah, I think, I think adventure has a, a similar problem to the other game released this year for for the purposes of this list. Yeah. Um, the, another game released this year is Rogue, which by all means, feels like it should be on here. How considering how roguelikes are so important to yeah, I, I, it's our so brand. ubiquitous that I don't think that people understand that rogue was an actual game. And when people say roguelike, they're referencing this game. But here, here's the problem: rogue immensely important. It is uh, ASCII dungeon crawler, which is to say, its graphics are symbols like 
the letters and symbols that you'd see on your keyboard, yeah, uh, representing various creatures in the geometry of the world. There, it introduces permadeath. Um, it has procedurally generated playthroughs. Um, it, it kind of sets the the very foundation of of the roguelikes that you are playing today. Here's why I think it, it can't be on this list. I cannot recommend. Barring the most dedicated history lovers to actually play it, it is impenetrable. In fact, I can't even recommend people watch it. <laughs> it it is that difficult to parse. Yeah, you you need to know you need to know that like the ampersand is a goblin <laughs> is like the level of insight that you need to remember if you were to watch someone play rogue. I think there are overlays for what it's worth that like add graphics like when you see a, a question mark it turns it into like a little demon and so you know but the if you're playing the original version of the game it is incredibly incredibly hard to just it, like get into it and even if you remember those things remembering just how the world works is difficult it's just yeah. a very difficult game to play i that said what I, I do really recommend is people read about this game because the history of the game is wild and it spans many, many years. Uh, its development spread across multiple California universities uh, and then companies. It is one of those Wikipedia pages that is like the best sort of historical rabbit hole. And I, I think it's well worth knowing more about this game. I just, I, yeah, I, it would be really hard for me to tell people to, you know, we've always said, you know, even if you can't play the game, to at least watch it. And I, I don't think I can recommend either for this game. Yeah. Um, 1981, Donkey Kong, Tempest. Donkey Kong important because we see our buddy Mario showing yeah, up. Yeah, that's right. And our buddy thing. Donkey Kong. We get uh, the inspiration for the documentary King of Kong, maybe the most <laughs> well-known video game documentary. Um, can I be real? I just, this is not the point of this, but I just really do not like playing this game. Yeah, it's not a fun game to play these days. No. I think there are later Donkey Kong games that are a lot of fun to play, but the original Donkey Kong, if you've ever played it in any level of recency, is stiff and awkward, and I get why it was amazing back then, but yeah, no, it's not fun now. It is funny that Mario's whole thing is jumping, and jumping in Donkey Kong is torture it feels like dog shit it feels like actual dog shit <laughs> yeah. um tempest another fantastic game but not something i think that we're going to add to this list or dig too far into yeah it's got polygons in it and you're i don't like the perspective of tempest um where you're kind of shooting down this like corridor um but yeah it's just a game that's never really clicked for me and even now i don't find it super fun to play um uh, but yeah it had its moment back then um, here's a game that I do think is foundational. Uh, we're now getting into 1982. Microsoft Flight Simulator comes out. Um, it is not like the flight simulator that you can play right now where you can go across the whole world. Uh, it is effectively limited to flying a, a Cessna, and you can fly it in New York, L.A., Seattle, or Chicago. And uh, the very first airport that you start in in Chicago actually doesn't even exist anymore. Um, it's not in use. But I think the important thing here about this game is it really um, popularizes simulation as mainstream software. That simulation is not just something that you know NASA is using to practice moon landings or the military is using. It is also something that hobbyists can use to get the experience of flying planes when they otherwise wouldn't have the means of doing that. I would also add that it is the first sign or one of the earliest signs of Microsoft's passion for acquisition. Mm. Uh, obviously, we've just seen uh, Microsoft buy Activision. Uh, they bought Bethesda, you name it. Uh, but this was an instance where Microsoft Flight Simulator, which came out in 1982, was actually not the first flight simulator. This was originally uh, a game that came out in 1980 before Microsoft bought it. And it was honestly very similar to what Microsoft Flight Simulator would become um microsoft added you know color which is a nice touch but the <laughs> fact that in 1980 there was a game that was running a 3d flight simulation game 
is fucking astounding. Like the if you've ever seen footage of the original 1980 Fight Simulator, it is really amazing because it is running on dinosaur hardware and it is producing 3D graphics. Now, it's worth considering. The game is running at and I'm not even exaggerating, 1 FPS. <laughs> it is so slow to render and every bike beat where you're flying through the sky takes like literally a second to generate on the screen, maybe even longer than that. But it is genuinely uh, pretty foundational. But I understand, like, that's not the game that, like, A, is even super accessible these days, or and B, like, not the game that people think of. So I understand, like, you know, color kind of made this a more viable, understandable product from a simulation standpoint, because you could see, like, where lakes were. Uh, which was a big update. Um, so, I, yeah, I think Microsoft Flight Simulator is the one to call out, but I do want to remind people it was not the original. I love that those are the sort of updates that still make, you know, people excited about Flight Simulator, that you still get an update and they're like, European lakes. And people are like, <laughs> are you fucking kidding? Like, we're, yeah. we're getting them, babe? Yeah. I do want to call out the original creator, uh, Bruce Artwick. Uh, created it as part of his company Sublogic, uh, and the game was called just Flight Simulator back then. Nice. Um, uh, up next, Robotron 2084. Important for us people who love twin stick shooters. <laughs> yeah, I I, I, this is another one that like I don't particularly enjoy playing. I do appreciate how um, formative it was from a yeah twin stick shooter standpoint. Um, I also yeah, it's weird because it had humans in it that you could save and uh, that just felt weird to me for some reason it like added like a dark layer to like what was otherwise a bunch of arcade games that were like pac-man eating cherries but yeah no, these people are gonna die were it not for your efforts <laughs> yeah yeah um we also have pitfall which i uh speaking of games with jumps that are incredibly frustrating um i credit it as making activision activision yeah. like it, it is the original mega hit for activision um for better or for worse i guess um and then uh the last thing for that year of 82 uh is miss pac-man which is as we said pac-man but better it is four mazes instead of one this time it is smarter ai um the fruit moves to different spots around the world which all this sounds again so silly but was big at the time uh, and then most importantly, it is made by a team of MIT students. It's called Crazy Auto originally and uh, pitched to Midway, which was the U.S. distributor for Pac-Man and then gradually becomes Miss Pac-Man. Did they know when they were making it, it was like more or less inspired by the original Pac-Man? I think it was effectively like a mod. I yeah. think that it was like pretty shameless. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I think that I'll have to look, I'm pretty sure we have a full story on the origins of Miss Pac-Man on Polygon and I will make sure to take a look for that. Yeah. Um, uh, 1983, we got Load Runner. Uh, sure. <laughs> fun, a fun game, but yeah, I don't think it's, uh, formative in any way. Track and field. You have any strong feelings here? Yeah, this one sucks. I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> All those it's, games that were just like hit the button really fast, fuck those games. Like, yeah, I'm sorry. Th these, these games have immense reputation. Um, I think of, uh, amongst people who are now probably in their 50s and who got to play these this, when they came out and otherwise, have, you know, have maybe have never played them again. I, I think yeah. that is how you can have a love for these games. Um, speaking of games that are very difficult to play, but at least this one's much more interesting uh, Dragon's Lair. Uh, do, you, do you want to tell people, for folks who have not seen Dragon's Lair before, what makes it so special? So Dragon's Lair is basically a uh, playable movie uh, animated by Don Bluth, known uh, animator. And you're kind of going through um, this adventure as a knight who is like rescuing a princess from a dragon. Pretty typical stuff. But you have to realize that like if you're in the arcade... At this point in 1983, and you've seen Miss Pac-Man, and you've seen Robotron, and then you turn the corner, and you see something that legit looks like it was out of, you know... A Saturday morning cartoon. It looks or, yeah, Honestly, high, like higher yeah. quality than that, because it was like incredibly well animated. Um, 
And the idea was it was all quick time events. So you'd get to a moment where like the dragon is spitting fire at you and you need to hit the right button at the right time. And if you don't, you just die and it plays like a little clip of the animation of hit you dying. And if you do, then it like the story advances and you see a new scene. So experts at this game would basically like, you know, master every little sequence. But it really was just like a timing mini game kind of thing. Not very engaging, uh, but from a technological standpoint at the time, totally like mind blowing. Yeah, I mean, I, it, it's just a shame that playing it is not fun. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> but fun. but but again, uh, it's so hard to talk about a lot of these games for that reason. Um, I, I do think, unlike Rogue, you can watch a playthrough of Dragon's Lair. I, it's quite short. Yeah. Um, and, and get a kick out of it. Um, yeah, it's like watching a, a cartoon. Essentially. Yeah, and, and, and to give you an idea of uh, how long the this looked impressive, deep into like our childhoods and I would say maybe even early teenage years, there were ports of Dragon's Lair coming out and people were still excited about it. Yeah, you would um, even see, I think there was a Game Boy Color, Game Boy Advance port of it. Um, it would come out on basically every platform because, again, you were just like, it didn't need hardware because you were just playing videos. So any system could really handle the basics of it. Um, but it still looked amazing because it wasn't, you know, pushing the hardware at all. So it could look as good as a movie there, basically. Next up, we have Mario Brothers. They're getting better at the jumping. I'll give them getting that. better. Not to be great. clear, this is not <laughs> Super Mario Brothers. No, it is not Super Mario. Did you know that Super Mario Brothers was a sequel? Um, actually, I guess it's the third game in the Mario uh, canon. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this is this is the first time Luigi shows up, which is very exciting. And, and it's a static screen, which yeah, <laughs> it's kind of again the antithesis of what we understand Mario to be. And I think most people, this was certainly my first experience playing Mario Brothers was in Super Mario 3, Super Mario Brothers 3, where you could play levels that were basically inspired by the original Mario Brothers as like weird adversarial multiplayer levels um, in Mario Brothers 3 as like little bonus challenges, which I thought was really cool. Um, I don't think the core game holds up really, and it is not as like defining uh, as Super Mario Brothers was, but... Nice, cool touch, um, and and it did birth Luigi. So props there to the Nintendo's greatest character. We have this like towering, towering game ahead of us. Oh yeah, we enter nineteen. This seems like a guarantee. This uh, is edition. this is the lock. Yeah, we you go into nineteen eighty four, and we have Tetris, which is maybe the greatest game of all time. I I'm not saying that like oh it's not that's not subjective or objective it just is almost a thing people say it is when you go to a museum like the Smithsonian and they have a, a video game exhibit they're going to be championing Tetris it is kind of a catch-all of everything video games can do it has great history so pet Tetris for people who have somehow not seen it, you, you drop blocks down uh, a little oh vertical pillar. Oh my god, are you describing Tetris right now? There's I know, no, I can't believe that. There's no way Tetris that anyone is. listening to this... You know what Tetris is. You know, if yeah, you don't, watch a movie about Which it. Which is honestly, I think that's why people need to remember like why it has such an impact. Is There's a lot of games that we've talked about throughout this that like started in a place and then over time evolved, but obviously like the core idea was really strong. Tetris has changed... like. I know Tetris snobs are going to argue about this, but I think it's changed like maybe 10% over the course of its lifetime. The 90% of Tetris has not changed since 1984. And that is really telling of how fucking good that idea is. I don't know if it's the best game of all time, but certainly one of the best video games of all time, because how many video games can you think of that have structurally not changed and remain super engaging and fun and amazing? How many games are are so uh, able to fill your brain that you see them when you close the, your eyes after playing for too long? I feel like uh, probably people that play Candy Crush probably get something similar. You get a version of it. It, it, it. This is a game that is used as medical treatment for trauma. Um, it is, yeah, it's your point about it just not changing. It's not like they haven't tried. There have been games that have yes. tried to like dramatically change tra- And Tetris. some of them... 
have succeeded, like not dramatically, but like, you know, Tetris Effect, which is the most recent Tetris attempt, added the idea of like you could freeze time and drop multiple blocks in a row. Like people have added that that and changed that 10% to mixed degrees of success. I think Tetris Effect is a great one. Um, but yeah, they've also tried to do more dramatic changes. And when they go like beyond that 10%, it almost always fails. It falls right on its face. It also just has a great history um, that has been turned into a movie with a varying degrees of success. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If, if you really want to know the history, I actually recommend a graphic novel called Tetris, The Games People Play. It's by uh, Brian Box Brown, and it's a delight. I, I think that is probably the best way to consume uh, all the wild stuff that happened around this game coming to the world. Chris Pine, what is what is your favorite shape that's not the skinny shape? Everyone loves the skinny shape. Oh, um, I think the most my favorite shape is the L, but I think the most Which interesting L? shape is the like T. Which L? Chris Pine. The, the L is uh, it, shaped like an L. I guess the letter L. <laughs> yeah, just it looks like an L. Because arguably the other one would be a J, I guess. Yeah, either of those, right? Uh, and then the T. What I, I I don't like the square. I loved the square as a kid, but it, it, the square actually yeah. makes the game too difficult for me. I'm just bad at it. Oh, and the Z. Ugh, the Z. Yeah, the Zs are both terrible. Yeah, and the S. Fuck those. Ugh, ugh, yeah, big L man. Um. Uh. Okay. Uh. Let's let's keep moving. Uh. uh elite. Um. A game that did you do you have any personal experience with Elite? I mean, more recently, just again for like a research standpoint, checking it out. I I know that Elite was incredibly formative at a time. We're we're kind of beyond that time because the the idea of like three D space exploration games have kind of moved on. I mean, there's been a few attempts at it recently. I know there was a Star Wars one like a year or so ago, but uh, yeah, I th- I think. When it happened, again, totally fucking mind-blowing. Like, the idea that you are kind of, you have free reign over an entire galaxy to trade, to, you know, fight pirates, to uh, kind of just, like, live your dreams of being, like, Han Solo or whatever you want to do. Totally mind-blowing. And again, this is 1984. Yeah, 1984. So it is really, like, an astonishing feat. I don't think it ages super well again because even though graphically it was mind-blowing at the time like it runs really poorly now um because you know they were just pushing the hardware in ways that the hardware was never designed to be pushed and people were uh, much more okay with that i think that's that's an interesting thing about this era is there weren't standards (laughs) there wasn't digital foundry and i love digital foundry let me be clear but you people were willing to accept that uh, you know, an at symbol represented a character or that wireframes could just play the entire, you know, galaxy. And there was a lot more willingness to let your imagination fill in the gaps, which allowed people to push the hardware in ways that just would not happen today. I think actually that's not entirely fair. I think where we have seen that today is in stuff like Dwarf Fortress, um, yeah. where people are prioritizing the computing over the visuals to extreme degrees. I want to say, if you're interested in th- this era, or I guess this genre of the space kind of combat games, uh, the two that I would recommend kind of close to this era, like, but not quite, uh, at least inspired by this era, uh, would be the TIE Fighter game, which came out uh, way back when, but there's been more modern um, recreations of it. Excellent game. Um, and also Free Space 2, which was a mid nineties attempt at it. Um, And both of them, I think do a really good job of doing narrative and also scale free space Two has like enormous mile long capital ships that you're doing like bombing runs on that uh, I think really sells the magic of this while also like telling a pretty compelling story. Also rip uh, volition who made free space Two, They recently shuttered and it makes me really sad. Oh, that sucks. Uh, I, I, also for people who prefer the exploration side of things, there is the modern elite elite dangerous, which you can play uh, right now yeah. uh, that came out, I think in 2015. And then there's just no man's sky, which I think is also kind of an heir to this type of game. Yeah. I think uh, no man's sky is probably the most modern uh, close comparison to this. Uh, I think people would, maybe roll their eyes a little bit at the like trading simplicity of no man's sky but 
broadly speaking, it has evolved into something that is more or less what Elite was trying to do. Yeah, yeah. And you can land on planets, which you can really do then. And then we have a bunch of other stuff that I'm just going to honorable mention here uh, in 84, because now we are getting into, I think, an area of video games that uh, most people are familiar with, uh, games that are going to show up on the NES or are on the NES. We have Duck Hunt, uh, Kung Fu Master, Impossible Missions, King's Quest, Jet Set Willy, Marble Madness, Excite Bike. For any of our UK listeners, some of those games will especially sound familiar. This is where we just have to confess we are limited to our experience, which is a very American one. The weird thing about this era is it's it's totally different depending on where you are in the world. Yeah. Um, what is going on in video games in the UK in 80 to 84 looks so different than in what is going on in America. And even and literally because PAL, the the video compression, whatever, was running at uh, 25 hertz instead of 30. So yeah. a lot of the games that they were playing were literally looked different because it was refreshing at a different rate, which is kind of wild. Also, uh, PC gaming is much more popular than console gaming as we start to get into the mid 80s. Um, there's different consoles. I mean, it, it's just, it's still very much the Wild West of video games. It's easy to look back in the uh, kind of the early to mid 80s and uh, remember a history of Nintendo's dominance, right? That we had Atari and then Nintendo. And the reality is there were tons of companies fighting it out, uh, trying to claim this this industry that would come up from it. And, and the, the example I think we've talked about on the show before is a ColecoVision, which I'm always so tickled by because Coleco was short for the Connecticut Leather Company. <laughs> um, people were, you know, just abandoning whatever their businesses were trying to get on this ride. Um, it's just that, you know, the winners write the histories. I do um, want to uh, call out one of the games that was in there, Excite Bike, um, as the first game that I re- ever remember seeing a level creator in that I could actually like use without like, you know, hacking into the files and stuff like that. Um, it, I, it just like stood out to me as a kid of like, whoa, I can like drop all these jumps in a row. I mean, it was never fun. The levels I made were terrible, but kind of mind blowing that back then they were like, yeah, we're going to just drop a, a level creator right here in this NES game. Yeah. Very bold. It felt incredible. Um, I loved that game so much uh, as a kid. Uh, so we should pick what what moves on for our okay. discussion okay so uh, of what we've discussed there are a few that i think very easily jump to mind i think tetris is a lock there's no question i'm walking out of here without tetris being on the list do we have a sense of like how many we're quote allowed to pick at this point I, well we're gonna we can bring as much as we want because we're gonna have to trim down oh, yeah. we'll trim down okay yeah. um i think tetris for sure the other ones that i think are like potentials would be pac-man as like again a representative arcade game and um microsoft flight simulator as the like this is what simulation games kind of started at or at least very close to that yeah i i'm on the exact same page that was my short list too cool we we did it i, I want we have a lot more to do in this episode so i'm gonna keep things rolling for the record, again, 1980 to 1984, our picks are Tetris, Pac-Man, and Microsoft Flight Simulator. We're going to take a break right here. And when we come back, we are going to have a special guest, Stephen Hilger from Into the Aether, a podcast uh, that we love. And Stephen is one of my favorite people to talk with about uh, kind of classic RPGs, especially of the 90s. This is a problem that we ran into when we were doing our 1990 to 1994 and 1995 to 1999 episodes of both of us are familiar with RPGs, but didn't play everything. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we invited Steven on to do a 10-minute speed run sharing five of the essential RPGs from that era and then uh, and then we get a pick one when we come back, uh, having heard what he had to say. <laughs> I, I, and, for, and for what it's worth, I was not part of this conversation, so I actually don't even know what the picks are right now. Um, I assume uh, Chris Plant will bring me up to speed, but I'm looking forward to it. Okay, let's go to a break. Hey, everybody. We are in the middle of the required reading list final episode, and there's something really important that we have to do. We need to figure out 
RPGs from the years 1990 to 1994. This is the clear gap in Fresh Chicken Eyes knowledge. Now, I hear you. You might also be saying, what about real-time strategy games? And you know what? I don't want to talk about it. I'm not here to talk about that right now. I am here to talk with my buddy, friend of the show, Stephen Hilger from Into the Aether, who I think of as an expert in this space. So thank you so much for joining us, Stephen. Truly, Chris, genuinely very flattered. Although I do want to clear the air a little bit because you invited me on. I've been excited for this. We've been talking about it for a long time. But the last time you reached out to me about RPGs, specifically Final Fantasy, was to text me late at night saying, it's kind of funny how Final Fantasy 16 is the only fun one. And I just had to sort of <laughs> live with that quietly until this. So I wasn't sure if this was like a carry prank or not for, for a bit. I'm People like, don't just, know yeah. that most of our relationship is just me sending you things that I know will unsettle you. <laughs> yeah, and, like, and usually at a time that I know you'll wake up to find them while I'm yeah. still asleep. My alarm goes off at six and someone says, Chris says, cloud isn't cool via SMS. <laughs> and I just have to start working, you know? When's Dragon but. Quest going to get good? You know? That's like <laughs> a question on the top of my mind. Anyway, we I want to keep this to... We, we set a policy yeah. beforehand because people also don't know this, but I am the like the guy who walks out with you uh, in a pro wrestling match who doesn't get in the ring, but like carries around a big briefcase and wears a suit and says like, get money um, for Into the Aether. I love celebrating y'all. So my marketing gimmick for this episode is y'all have a Patreon where people can subscribe to get more episodes, including these awesome 10 minute bonus episodes uh, called Any Percent. That's right name, right? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. And... I thought what we would do is kind of like our own knockoff 10-minute episode of, of, of any percent right here where we're going to talk about RPGs from 1990 to 1994. So I am setting the timer right now. In the ring, making my own knockoff. You have a list of games that we're going to get to. I believe it is five. Yep. And you are going to start telling me about each of these and we're going to figure out which one is the best and needs to be on this list. And we're going to start with Final Fantasy II, also known as Final Fantasy IV. So- yeah, just in case anyone got jump scared by that. <laughs> by me saying, <laughs> local RPG expert says Final Fantasy II is the best one. So I chose this one. Uh, I was between two. I, I definitely wanted a Final Fantasy on here. I, You know, the intention of your list is, from what you've said, to kind of deliver or like m- most cleanly explain the idea of games as a syllabus. So in my mind, I was like, okay, the two Final Fantasies from this era that I think do that the best are four and six, which were released in the US as two and three originally. Um, and you and Russ kind of touched on Final Fantasy six in passing. It seemed like, not to you know uh, speak for you, but like it seemed like it was a game you both admired, but maybe failed to connect to. Yeah. Um, and I think that, that game's interesting in terms of its historical relevance to the series because it kind of feels like a swan song of that style of Final Fantasy game. Um, and I was thinking about, like, before I heard you kind of, like, in passing, you know, say how you felt about it, I was like, well, is it, th-? like, that's the obvious one, right? But I was thinking more about Final Fantasy IV because, in my opinion, Final Fantasy IV is really the first Final Fantasy game that we would recognize as Final Fantasy. Because the thing about the series, and I think one of the most interesting things about Final Fantasy, is that every game is kind of an attempt to start a new series. Yeah. Even though they all have the Final Fantasy brand, like some of them are, unless they were, you know, you saw the name, you would never equate the two. Like Final Fantasy 12 to 10 2 to 16, you would never be like, oh yeah, that's all the same series. And I feel like every (laughs) generation of fans has to learn this and discover it for their own. Like they play Final Fantasy 16 and they're like, how could they do it? Right. They do it every time, Charlie Brown. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I was trying to distinguish like, what is actually the thread? Like, what is the thing that connects all of them? And why do I feel that four is the beginning of that thread? And for those who don't know, Final Fantasy IV is a game that kind of begins with this soldier clad in Dark Knight armor 
aboard an airship that is bombing innocent villages and thinking like this feels bad you know should, should we should we not be doing this and you know not to discredit it but the uh, or not to simplify it in that way but the game is really about like it begins with a soldier questioning his king's orders and i think for for 91 let me just double check when that came out yeah this game came out in 91 this is an era where i think a lot of other rpgs are like very comfortable kind of like existing in trope and archetype yeah. and for final fantasy to kind of boldly be like we're gonna kind of interrogate all of these tropes and these like character concepts um i think kind of begins final fantasy's tradition of being sort of the edgy one i think the the thread that connects all the games in my opinion is like almost a defiance of what the current norm is and you can see that more boldly with seven i think I got to keep us going because oh, yes. the, the 10 minutes is ticking down, my bud. <laughs> okay. We got That's Dragon right. Quest Dragon Quest 5. Yes, this is slightly cheating because it came out. I, I, now I realize the challenge that we've given ourselves. Um, <laughs> Dragon Quest 5 uh, came out on the Super Famicom in 1992. I played the DS remake much later. This is a game that is essentially, it takes place like over the course of the protagonist's whole life. So it begins when they're a kid and like you literally can't read. You have to rely on your dad for everything. And it ends with you becoming a father yourself. And I just think it's a really miraculous game about kind of becoming a caretaker. And it sort of flips the Chosen One narrative to be more about being like the caretaker to the Chosen yeah. One. And I feel like it's also kind of like the blueprint for like the Harvest Moon and sort of life sim genre we see now. I've loved you. started here. You talking about this game on... Aether, I, I've like always really enjoyed. I think it's a game that I, I I can feel your passion about. So maybe we can find a link um to that episode, an episode where you sure. talked about it. And I think that'd be really good for folks. Um, yeah, I think that was on our DS episode. But yeah, we yeah. can definitely do that. Yeah, which <laughs> it's very which, is, which it's, is not an any percent episode. Yeah, it's like five hours yeah. long. Yeah. Um next up we got Shining Force 2. This is one this is the one where I was like, Am I being too mainstream? Am I just coming on saying Final Fantasy is cool? <laughs> so I tried to find like a more slightly more obscure one i looked at the sega genesis um this is a game made by the team that would eventually become camelot and then later in life invent waluigi so if you want a (laughs) 90s tactics rpg made by the people who would later make waluigi that's my any percent pitch wow (laughs) wow it's like the opposite of Final Fantasy IV, where that game is like defying trope and expectation. I think this game is like, we love wizards, we love kings, the knight character is a centaur. It's just all, like, we just love the genre, and it feels very celebratory in that way. Okay, now we're getting into the stuff that I am familiar with, and one that I love, which is up next, Earthbound, one of my favorite games of all time. Yeah, this is also slightly cheating, because I think if you are to say to someone, like, what are your favorite RPGs from 90 to 94? All the ones that kind of immediately come to mind are actually 95. Yeah. Earthbound did come out in Japan in 94, but I just feel like when you mentioned that this era is sort of like organisms leaving the water for the first time, yeah. like growing legs and stuff. So I'm, I was thinking about like, what are kind of pillars for genres within RPGs? And Earthbound, I just think... I think you can see its influence almost the most clearly today, especially with indie games like Omori or Undertale. And I think it kind of reminds us that RPGs don't have to be fantasy or sci-fi. They can be anything. You know, fantasy can mean anything. It can mean like this bizarre kind of like yellow submarine interpretation of the suburbs, you know? Yeah. And Um, I think that stretches out even beyond RPGs and fantasy titles in general. I think a lot of the... the, uh, silly mundane or the beautiful mundane that has become yeah. more popular in video games you know really starts with with earthbound and mother one i also think you can kind of get a like a taste of dragon quest because mm. when i finally like went back and played the older dragon quest and then revisited earthbound it feels like earthbound is kind of almost a satire of dragon quest while still being like fully its own thing it does kind of feel like almost like how the mario rpgs and paper mario is like kind of lightly roasting both series, like both, you know, classic RPGs and Mario. Yeah. Earthbound sort of feels like that for Dragon Quest, or just the idea of, like, gamifying that type of story. Um, And then this is just, this is just kind of a a silly move on my part, blatantly cheating, 95. But Chrono Trigger, I just think, is, like, 
it is the culmination of all of this. It kind of feels like all of these like discrete ideas we've brought up kind of yeah. put into one place. And I feel like if you're making a syllabus of like, this is the crash course on game and games and game history, Chrono Trigger kind of gives you like a bird's eye view of like eight different series in one place. Yeah, we're actually recording this before the segment that aired before this, which is like the 80 to 84 series. But I have a feeling where that went, hopefully, is that sometimes the very, very, very origins actually don't make for good examples uh, if you're giving it to a crash course, right? Like, right. you're actually not going to get a whole lot out of going back and playing Galaga. Um, right, exactly. And, and, and I, I do... I have a feeling that you're right, and I'm curious where we'll land on which one to pick here, that Chrono Trigger, while, yes, there are games that did all this stuff before it, it's still so early in all of this that it would be the one that, like, truly has the, that is the table setting for where RPGs and video games would go from here. I, how much time How much time do we have? You've got a minute and a half. Oh, my God. Thank you for, for kind of preventing me from filibustering this episode with <laughs> the creative thread of Final Fantasy. Um, I'll just read my strategy guide for 10 minutes. Uh, but, yeah, so I think the thing about Chrono Trigger that's kind of ironic is it's so often listed as, you know, best game of all time. In all of those lists, it's usually close to number one. And we also see games now come out, games like Sea of Stars kind of just directly say we're going after this yeah and i think the irony to that is that as influential as chrono trigger is and as much as people love it it still feels so one of a kind which i think is why people call it out by name when they're trying to like make a game inspired by because no one's really done that again in the same way that like octopath traveler does kind of capture that old school final fantasy feel um i think nothing really comes close to chrono trigger in that way so which of the five should it be my vote would be Chrono Trigger, but I also feel like Earthbound is pretty close, as well as Dragon. <laughs> I like all of them. <laughs> I would say my vote is Chrono Trigger. Uh, honorable mention to Earthbound would be my top two for this. I think Although that's they're both kind of cheating, so if if you count both of them out, then Dragon Quest Five. Thank you for your time. Fifteen seconds to say Chrono Trigger's best feature. Uh, I like the robot and the frog, and how they can team up. And how long does it take? Twenty-ish hours. Perfect. You nailed it. And that is right <laughs> there. 10 minutes. We nailed it. Boom. Woo-hoo. We did it. Oh my God. I'm genuinely impressed. Wow. I'm, I'm so glad oh. you did your homework before this because I did not know how we would have done it. <laughs> and that was Steven. Here's the thing. If you enjoyed that, you should go listen to Into the Aether. It is, uh, I mean, personally, my favorite video game podcast that's not called The Best Teachers of the Resties. Sometimes I might even say it's better, but I I wouldn't say that. I'm a champion of my own brand. Uh, And let's go right to the end of the episode. Here's the final segment. Okay, we're back, and it's time to pick the final 25 from our list. We actually have, I believe, 28 that we've narrowed down over the course of this entire uh, project. And that was like, remember, and, and I know for people that have listened, like we really cut some gems on our list like we really trimmed it back so the fact that we landed at 28 i'm actually kind of impressed with us because we had to like really cut a lot of stuff yes yes and and i guess we're gonna have to cut three more as well (laughs) some of your favorite games are, are not even here and that might make you mad and that is okay that's the yeah. nature of list that's why every time you open a list on the internet you are filled with rage because uh, it turns out when you limit things, you can't have everything in them. That's right. Uh, and that's that's tough. Um, okay, so here's what we have right now. We have Tetris, Pac-Man, Mic- Microsoft Flight Simulator, Super Mario Brothers, The Legend of Zelda, Sim City, Street Fighter 2, Doom, Super Metroid, Super Mario 64, Pokemon Red and Blue, Final Fantasy VII, StarCraft, Chrono Trigger, just recently picked uh, from Steven's Guidance. A very strong pick. A very strong pick. Counter-Strike, uh, Grand Theft Auto Three, World of Warcraft, Resident Evil 4, Wii Sports, Call of Duty, Modern Warfare, Demon Souls, Minecraft, Spelunky HD, Hearthstone, Stardew Valley, Fortnite, Breath of the Wild, Outer Wilds. Oh, boy. 
So okay, I think from the top there is there is a game that we have to cut that's going to crush both of us. I, I, I think I, I think he goes. I think you're right. I think it probably has to go. You know, it's funny when you, when I saw it on the list, I was like, maybe it should just be the Spelunky class, like the original Spelunky, which I think has so much DNA, but that would just not solve the problem that we're facing, which is we need to cut games. And uh, it feels like an outlier when you read the list. It does. It feels like an outlier. Um, and it feels like we we definitely put a thumb on the scale for that one, even though it is a fucking spectacular game. And I think our argument still stands, which is we don't have a roguelike represented here without it. Right. That's what I was thinking as well, is we still, we, yeah, we would not have a roguelike. But there's so many genres of video games. I mean, that we don't have that That's problem. True. There's yeah. no sport. I guess we sports. Okay. Anyway. Yeah, we can cut it. That's fine. Goodbye, Spelunky. So that puts us at 27. Yes. What What would be one of your cuts? Uh, well, that was going to be one of my ca- cuts, but there was another one that jumped out at me. Uh, it's tough, right? It's really tough. Um, man, this list is like... I know. I, I, I For a while, it was like Super pound. Metroid, but then I... I, I not having again it's one of those like genre defining things it's really really tough i i do think okay wait 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 wait. i I know i think we can i think we can do something here okay there are two games that i think are checking a very similar box and i think one of them needs to go zelda and metroid no Mm. no (laughs) come on plant crazy the games are Counter-Strike and Call of Duty Modern Warfare. I think they are both checking a very <sighs> a similar box. Not the exact same box. Yeah, I, I, no, I know what you mean. I, I think you're... But they are I, both on the list because they defined oh, online that's tough. shooters. This is, this is where it gets tough in terms of our goal, right? Because, again, if I am telling people to experience... Like, you're really going to understand so much about video games and what's going on in video games today and what has been popular for years and what I mean I would inspired everything I I would pick Call of Duty yeah me too but Counter-Strike is just yeah that's really tough Counter-Strike is so important to its corner of video games and honestly like there aren't while there are you know Valorant of the world which obviously took a lot from Counter-Strike it's not that defining of a way to approach like more games have followed no, the call right. of duty method than they have the counter-strike method you're you're right i i agree with you i Brutal. like counter-strike more but again that's not what we're trying to do here we're trying i don't to know things... that i like it more but that's just a taste thing right like I, yeah I, I think, yeah no you know. no you're right though but like you could not you could not go into a room and casually talk about the history of video games without knowing call of duty that would yeah. be a colossal gap yeah um the most popular series of like the last you know 15 years um, there's another game that i am considering uh okay so are we agreement we're losing counter-strike is that happening? yeah we we are yeah okay the other game that i'm considering dropping this would bring us to 25 but i think we still need to reevaluate to see if there's anything that should be replaced hearthstone yep that was that was mine too Hearthstone, obviously a huge deal, still a huge deal. It's still pretty popular. I think it was the first like video game that made, um, uh, you know, the TCGs become like more of a mainstream thing in the, on the video game side. Uh, there had been obviously previously Pokemon had a card game, stuff like that, that became a video game. Um, but Hearthstone obviously owes so much of itself to the game that you probably should be playing, which is Magic the Gathering. Um, yeah. Which obviously not a video game, but like so all of these games stem, all of the card games at least stem from some level of Magic the Gathering. And uh, Hearthstone just isn't as defining as, you know, what came before it in the physical card game space. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree with you. I, I think all of those choices are right. The other kind of edge cases here, and it's just because you always worry about recency bias, 
is Fortnite, Breath of the Wild, and Outer Wilds. I'm, I'm, and I guess Stardew Valley. I'm not really worried about keeping any of those. Um, I, I don't yeah, think no. we're going to look back and be like, well, Fortnite wasn't important enough. You know, it, again, it, similar to Call of Duty, it is a culture defining video game. Um, I guess the other question here was just, did we want to make sure to keep all of the ones that we brought at the beginning of this episode with Tetris, Pac-Man, and Flight Simulator? I think the answer is... I think that, yeah. Yeah. I think, yes, we have to. Uh, Again, I I think they both, they all, all three of them, fill roles that we hadn't really filled. I think the only thing that, like, might be an argument is, like, the original SimCity was added, and that is also a simulator in a way, but they're very, very different, obviously, Flight Simulator and SimCity. Um, but yeah, yeah, I guess, I, I guess here's, here's the, here's the thing. And I'm going to vocalize it because I think it's important to be honest. Like you're, this isn't the top 25 games of all time list. And I think it isn't like, I think we've accomplished that goal. It bums me out a little bit that there aren't like deep cuts on here. And I'm yeah. wondering how you feel about that. I I mean, I think that that was always going to be the case. And, you know, yeah. throughout this, uh, occasionally we would pick our personal favorite games that meant sure. a lot to us, right? But I think I think that that's the nature of the beast. Yeah. I think if we are talking about games that are going to be, again, kind of like a, a video game starter pack that is going to give you a foundation um, to appreciating the rest of video games, it's not going to be deep cuts. Yeah. Um, because that's just not what those are. The, the deep cuts come. What makes deep cuts special is that they exist in contrast to the stuff that you had played before that, right? Um, I, I think about it like I, I see so much through like learning a language, just because like that's my you know hobby right now. But when you learn a language, you have to learn like kind of a first thousand words yeah. that you're going to use over and over and over again. And then that makes it easier to learn everything else. My son is scuba diver. What? I guess it's two words, but he does say scuba diver like 80% of the time. That's great. I mean, <laughs> very, very practical uh, when living in, in New York. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think like, I think that is very clarifying at the end of like what this project is. I, I know for I know a lot of listeners have really enjoyed this project. I know that there have been some who have been frustrated by it of like, well, what are the rules? You know, what are you trying to accomplish? And I'll be very honest with you, this is often how an, an editorial process works. You don't you very rarely start out with something where you just know exactly what it is. Um and then you just birth it perfectly and, and it's there. There are rough drafts. There's a process. What I really enjoyed about doing this with you, Fresh, is like it's been a chance for us to do this, I think, very publicly of like, hey, let, let's kind of figure out what we're trying to share. Uh, and, I, and I feel like coming to the end of this and getting this 25 and yes, saying that like this is your video game starter pack. You can play this. You could go through this entire list, and, and you, you can have play a nice any of these. Time. Like you don't have to go in order. You don't yeah. have to play all of them. You can pick any single one, and after playing it, you will have a deeper insight into the genre that that game was sort of trying to do, or even the like, not necessarily genre because there are like multiple RPGs on here, but the era or the why that game was formative. Yeah, and I think you would be able to participate in 95% of conversations about video games. <laughs> I don't know why you would want to, but yeah. Sure, I mean, you, that, that, you that, that's really the problem, is we, we, we gave you the tools to uh, a solution that you would never want to solve. Yeah, um, I, I, will, I, will add, <laughs> I will add, because again, to go back to what you were saying about people being uh, frustrated by the lack of rules, the, you know, I think this also applies to game design and just the idea that like, yeah, you're making things up that feel right at the time and a week might go by and it feels terrible and the worst decision ever. A week could go go by and we could be like, what the f- Demon Souls, what were we thinking? I don't think that's going to happen. Demon Souls fucking rules. But you just have to, at a certain point, kind of like birth something out into the world and see how it goes. And um, you could you know, make a perfectly balanced thing. You know, we could have gone on Metacritic or or game rankings or whatever and just like 
literally looked at the top 25 based on reviews, and that would give you a, quote, fair approach to what the best games of all time were. And that's just not interesting to us. And that's not interesting, I think, to you guys, because you know that list more or less. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm tremendously proud and, and happy of how this has gone. Um, and there's no game on here that I'd be like, oh, no, that's a weird pick. Why did we do that? I think these all make total sense. And uh, I'm really excited to hear from people. If there's anything on here that you've never, ever played before and this is your first time, uh, please write in the uh, the comments of the newsletter and talk about it because uh, we're always eager to hear uh, about people coming to stuff with fresh eyes and whether they can kind of stomach it. Yeah, and, and also share your top 25, or not top 25, but kind of the 25 You could just do five. You don't need to you... go as ham as we did. Yeah, yeah. That, for sure. You could do whatever, whatever number you want. I, I, I'm sure that there are some people who have great recommendations for uh, tactics games and real-time strategy games that we didn't cover as intensely here. I mean, you know, we have StarCraft, but not Civ or, or things like yeah. that. So there's there's so much room uh, to build if if you want to try this little experiment on your own. I think I think that's it. We have the list of 25. We will make sure it is included in the newsletter this week, along with um, links to the best way to play as many of these as possible. I think some of them will be harder to play than others, like Wii Sports. Um, but yeah, uh, most of these I think you, you should be able to play relatively easy. Uh, do you have any uh, additional kind of things that you're enjoying? Bonus racks, anything this week? I'm still playing Lunacid. I'm very close to the end. That game rules. I'm like so happy playing it. I think it's uh, really kind of not gotten enough attention and i hope more people play it uh again if you're looking for a game that is inspired by earlier from soft games uh, like kingsfield um it's a really cool approach to that era that hasn't really sh- been uh shine a light on it in recent years so I- i've been really digging it it's on steam for like 13 bucks it's a, like a total steal at that price uh, I am playing Mario Golf Advance Tour, which I feel oh, like man. shows up pretty regularly on this Have podcast. Have you played it before? I don't actually know. Yeah, I I, I, I had played it, but I, I haven't gotten deep into it for a, a while. Yeah. And now I'm like really in the thick of it. It is a great football season video game because it is. Can you skip watching the other player hit the ball? I don't remember. I don't think you can. <laughs> I haven't had to do it. So there is a lot of downtime when yeah. playing this game. And being able to pick at it and then watch some football and then pick at it is uh, a delight. I'm re- I just, it really is astounding how right they got this game early on. It's- and while I actually really do like the Nintendo Switch Mario Golf, I think more than most people, yeah, it's still... It has nothing on this. Um, there's really no, there's no golf RPG that is as good as that game. Yeah. The, the uh, Mario Golf Advance game, which is, yeah, insane to me. I mean, Golf Story was very good, uh, but still as a golf game, not nearly as good as Mario Golf Advance. And it doesn't seem, oh, I don't want to oversimplify video game development. It doesn't seem that hard to yeah. do the what they're doing I, again i realize it. video games as an idea are extremely hard but people are tacking tackling stuff so much harder than just making a really good golf rpg in the style of mario I, golf advance i know and, what you mean it, it feels like you should be able to re- reverse engineer it and basically make a facsimile it just it you know what it reminds me <laughs> of know? is like when we were in that period of the like early 2000s when there were just no metroidvanias at all or we'd wait three years and one would come out. And now there's like a million of them. Yeah. It kind of feels like we're in that same period, but we've been in it for like 20 years. We're like no great Mario, yes. like golf RPG has it, come out. Farm simulators is the other yeah. version of that, right? Yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. There's nothing like nailing the the farm simulator of Harvest Moon until yeah. suddenly it's the, you know, in every game. You're drowning in them. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, cool. Well, you know what? Video games are good. This has been a really fun year of resties. And I, I I think both of us would just want to thank you all for listening. Yeah. Um, 
it's been a real treat doing this for y'all. And we will probably not be back before the end of the year. This is the last episode of this year in all likelihood. We might have a bonus episode. We'll see. But chances are probably the last episode. And in theory, the next episode for Resties will be in the beginning of January. And we will be doing the prediction predictions episode, which I think will be both who won, which again, I think Plant might have taken it. Uh, but we'll see. And also what our predictions will be for the coming year of 2024, which man, gives me so much anxiety even thinking yeah. about making those picks. So we'll see how that goes. But yeah, I, I'm, yeah, I'm I think I went too hard to this year. I think, yeah. I, I think I made it too hard for myself. I, yeah, I was yeah, ambitious. I, I think you're right. Um, cool. Well, that has been it. Uh, I hope you all have a wonderful holiday break. Um, and we can't wait to see you in 2024. This has been another episode of The Resties. I'm Chris Plant. He I'm is Russ, Russ Frushdick. Yeah, did it for you that time. And we are The Resties, where the best of the rest, where the holy cow, the oh my gosh, the final episode of the year, where the rest of the best discuss the best of the rest. Resties. Resties.